So, uh, I'm Barra, if you haven't listened to the show before. This is going to be a different episode to every other episode that I've ever done, bar one. I never really I never really do an episode of my own, uh, but uh, I thought, like, you know, this would be a bit of crack, um, talking about an album that was very close to my heart as a young lad. I think it was close, close to heart to a lot of people. I think it got a lot of people in my generation, anyway. My generation! <laughs> That's the only time I'll do that. Um, I think it got a lot of them into this style of music, which is uh, Meteora... By Linkin Park, which is 20 years old. I, I can't believe it's 20 years old. So I was eight when this came out, to put it into context and make myself feel ancient. It came out in 2003, which is kind of nuts. I still remember going up and buying it. I remember when Numb came out and everybody was obsessed over it. That was the song that I heard. I mean, me and my friend Louie um, loved it, absolutely loved it. Our teenage angst had yet to be built, but that was the, that was the song that I think really got it going and at, at eight years of age um and we went to golden discs which was in still oregon at the time and i was at the very very front of the store i just i clearly i clearly remember it being at the very very front so they had meteora and they also had next to it was hybrid theory now my louis picked up meteora on cd and i picked up hybrid theory because i didn't want to be just like him which is a weird thing when it's an album it's not yeah it's anyway i remember being pissed off when i came home because numb wasn't on the album um but i learned <laughs> then i discovered one step closer which is a song i'd never heard anybody scream into a microphone before i'd never heard it i never even thought that you people could do that in music uh to be honest it was it was a really eye-opening experience and then obviously in the end was on that album too but I eventually got Meteora when I could save up enough pocket money to get it. And uh, yeah, it just blew me away. Like the, it, there was nothing that, at the time for me anyway, there was nothing that sounded like it. And it really did shape all the bands that I got into following that. Like Papa Roach, who I think were basically my go-to band for, until Charlie was discovered, to be honest. <laughs> uh, and that introduced me to bands like Shinedown, Escape the Fate and then Escape the Fate got me into bands like Bring Me the Horizon then Bring Me the Horizon got me into bands like Ask and Alexandria and then so on and so forth and uh, eventually got Sepultura in there, Metallica and kind of, yeah, so it really did kind of give me a um, kind of brought me down the the road of the music that I listen to now in a very, very, very kind of real way and they're a band that I like, I, I still go back and listen to Linkin Park, Chester Bennington and Mike Shinoda were two heroes of mine, they still are I still love Mike's music that he makes at the moment. I always will love Chester's voice and anything. Um, so yeah, that like I, and I, they're one of those. I don't understand why they get so much criticism. They were they they, they <laughs> people like to hate on them all the time. Don't get it. I re I really don't. Well, I do get it. I do get it a little bit, but I uh, at the most time I don't get it. But um, I guess like I th I think the way that we'll start this episode off, like I've I I actually tried to record this already before, but I ended up um talking about chester a lot um because he really was yeah he really was uh, my idol for a very very long time i still look up i still think he's great um it's very hard to talk about him but uh so i had to re-record it so that part anyway so what we'll do is i'm not going to talk about chester that much and my love of lincoln park i did get to see them live though i will say that i did get to see them live in download festival play hybrid theory in full and then a bunch of other hits as well which was probably one of the highlights of my of my youth uh <laughs> but uh i guess what we'll talk about first like the kind of going into what this album actually was what meteora was as an album like people have to bear in mind like at the time new metal was really dying out like there was three of the biggest bands 
at the time in new metal in that genre like three of the most iconic bands i would say all had commercially um unsuccessful albums like the first one i think like limp biscuit had um what was the album they had i think it was results may vary was the link was the limp biscuit album three years prior like in 2000 they were the biggest band in the world which is kind of hard to believe but they were they were the biggest band in the world and uh, they had a flop wasn't wasn't a flop just a very badly commercial success album then corn who i think like do they have some platinum albums their sixth album take a look in the mirror was also a flop and then Papa Roach's second album so Papa Roach's follow-up to Infest which is the album that has um Last Resort it has uh, Broken Home uh what was the other big song that had Between Angels and Insects that also commercially failed as well which is Love Hate Tragedy which is not a bad album it's it's all right for the time as well thankfully the flop led them to be making led them to make um Getting Away with Murder which was that really was one of the albums of my teens. But um, so New Metal was pretty much dead. And then then you have Linkin Park, who were a band. I, f- I found out actually, I didn't, never knew this. They were a band that were originally called Zero. And uh, and actually on that, about the name, just before we get completely sidetracked, because I will get sidetracked quite a bit because I am on my own. Um, the name came from, I think it was Chester suggested that they pick the bands, they picked America's most common park, which is Linkin Park, which I did not know. And then misspell it so that it would come across like an internet domain name, which has to be one of the most 90s things I've ever heard. And what they would do is they set up their own site and they'd post MP3s on it and ask people for feedback. They would share around the sites with fans on like uh, like forums and all that kind of carry on. They would just invite people to come over to the website, listen to the songs and see what they think. So they had like an underground following, which link, which is called Linkin Park Underground now. I think it's still going to this day. Um, I think I'm a member of it. At least I am on my old website, on my old um, Hotmail address for sure, which was awesome at hotmail.com. <laughs> I forgot. I actually just remembered that there. But um, but then they would get they would get um, offers to play different places like Arizona and all that kind of carry on. And so that's how they kind of got started. But anyway, anyway, anyway. So Linkin Park have this album that is like, I think you, how would you put it in the best of terms? hyper theory it's like the most it's it's like what nine inch nails did with um downward spiral for for the genre of industrial like that's the way that i kind of see it like it took the best components of all of that genre and kind of just made it into this commercial machine um so and it was the, i think it was the best selling i remember reading that it was the best selling debut of all time i'm probably that record probably is broken but for for sure, it was it was the it was the world's best selling album of two thousand and one, which is nuts, which is not like that's insane. I I think it sold fourteen million copies. I have statistics on my phone here, and it supposedly, it pro- unofficially, it probably would have sold twenty million if it weren't for internet piracy. And then Metallica had to go and root it. <laughs> Curse you, Lars. But um, yeah, so can you imagine the weight of that? Like one of the most commercially successful albums ever. And then you have to follow it up. So I think for a lot of people, like going back and listening to Meteora now, um, it is very much, I, I, it's, it's, it's an interesting album. I do think it's a, a lot more of a mature album. It's definitely more musically uh, experimental than Hybrid Theory, but it is a little bit. 
hybrid theory 2.0 please don't kill me for saying that but it, it kind of is and it isn't at the same time if that makes sense which it definitely doesn't um <laughs> uh but yeah like uh and it was it wasn't as success, successful uh by any means but it was a very 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 successful album um it actually got nominated for a grammy uh, which we will talk about later, but not for the song that I think anybody would have wanted it to be nominated for. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, we'll talk about it. It, it, it. Well, I'll talk about. It. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. It's not quite there yet. But uh, I know for sure that like Chester, when he was talking about the album, that he said that it was much better than Hybrid Theory for sure. But um. That's part of my notes for the Grammy thing. I'll, we'll, we'll get on to it. I'll, we'll talk about the making of the album, actually, because the making is actually quite interesting. So they made it in, I think the majority... So there was 80 songs made for this album from start to finish. There was over 80 songs, I think. Like, I th- I can't remember which single it is. I'll get to it. One of the singles has over 40 choruses written for it. There's a video that you can watch online of them making the album from start to finish. And there's ju- they just look... Oh, they just look distraught putting this song together, but it is one of the better songs on the album. Oh, which one is? I'll 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 I'll, I'll get to it when I have my notes for the album. But uh, so Lincoln Park, yeah, following up Hybrid Theory. I don't think that they didn't go straight into making Hybrid Theory. They made they actually went in. They made a re they a reanimation of Hybrid Theory, which was called Reanimation. A rem- it was a remix album, so it was a collection of rework songs. Um, some of them were really really cool, and they had like people like Aaron Lewis from Stained who was cool in the 90s, but he's not cool now. And um, <laughs> Aaron Lewis, for, if you ever watch a video of him performing outside or It's Been a While live, he tells the crowd to shut the fuck up. It's really funny. And if they talk, he, he leaves the stage um, like a little crybaby. Uh, but uh, <laughs> there's actually a version on reanimation that, uh, that has Jonathan Davis singing on One Step Closer, which I actually is a version of One Step Closer I prefer to the original. But um, that's my opinion. But um, apparently coming out of reanimation from working with all these different musicians and working with different producers and stuff to get these the, these reworked songs, that it really, really, really gave the band this kind of driving power to go in and make an album. So, wait, what? I'm just reading here. It became the, I'm just looking at the stats for it. It became the fourth biggest selling remix album of all time. Fuck. All right, okay. Did not know that. So, but it, it gave them the... Um, it gave them the driving power to start making on working working on Meteora. So Lincoln Park started working on it while they were on Ozfest. So which was I don't know if, if anybody knows it's just it's a roadshow type of festival I believe that Ozzy Osbourne and Sharon Osbourne set up. So you have a bunch of random bands, not random bands. You have fucking huge bands playing it. You have like Slipknot, Machine Head, all those kind of like Marlon Manson, um, Jesus, uh, but. Uh, they started working on that and I don't know if you've seen Lincoln Park. I think it's one of the reasons why I identified with them a lot more than I did with most other bands was because like I would spend hours and hours of my day as as a as a child and a teenager just watching interviews of bands. And it was always these bands talking about, oh, we got fucked, we did this, we did this. Whereas Lincoln Park, they were always so chill back and relaxed and they were really just like nerdy. I think that's what made me like them even more. They they just seem so kind of comfortable and not having to front or anything like that. Um, like they apparently they would spend their days playing uh, Halo tournaments after Ozfest, which I would imagine on a festival 
that's led by Ozzy Osbourne, the uh, the culture of it would be a little bit more hardcore than Halo tournaments. But th- that's what they were doing. They would they would work on songs in the van as they were going around, just work on riffs, on, and they were making it on Pro Tools. Like there's they have stories about them actually making the like trying to practice guitar riffs while driving the van and trying to record it on Pro Tools and stuff, which is just, I find I find that just hilarious. But um. Yeah, so they were working on that. They went. They eventually ended up recording in Energy Studios with Don Gilmore, who produced. Um, he produced Hybrid Theory. He was the producer for Hybrid Theory, just because they were just like, you know, they struck light in the bottle the first time. They might as well do it again, and he got them as well. But uh, one thing I didn't know about when I was researching this album is that where the title comes from. I had no idea what a meteora was. I just thought they were putting an A on the end of the word meteor, and that was kind of it. But um, so Dave Joan Chester elaborated on. The title of Meteora, as what I'm reading here, is that it came from rock formations in Greece. And they have like, I think they have like cathedrals on the top of them. They're like, uh, it's like a landscape. It's monasteries. They have monasteries on the top of them. And they have all these rock formations. And apparently they're just like, so Mike Shinoda describes it as very epic, very dramatic, um, has great energy. And he had, I think he had a picture of it on his wall as they were making the album the entire time to look at it. Um, I didn't... I th- he says here, one thing that's cool about that place is it's really hard to get there. It takes real effort to arrive at the top. I know that that album was the same way, which I thought was quite nice. So it's kind of a cool title. Um, the album cover was made, um, the famous album cover. I always thought it was Brad on the cover for some reason or Mike from the band. So yeah, the, the album cover is actually, it's a graffiti artist called Delta doing spray painting. And... Um, what they did was, while they were making the album, which I thought was interesting, was they had an art day. So if you get the booklet, which I have in front of me, I still have the album that I bought all those years ago, 20 years ago. I have every CD that I've ever bought, by the way. I've never lost one, except for the only one that I've lost is uh, Demon Days by Gorillaz. I have no idea who has that or where it went. So I had to rebuy it. So it's not my original one, but every other one I have. But yeah, they had a painting day and they got all the band, they got all the band and all the crew in to do it. So it's spray painting, like mosaics, um, just random shit on the wall as part of this kind of, uh, I don't know, like, I guess, you know, like art therapy almost while they were making it, but they documented it the entire time. So, so when you get the artwork, when you get the, the booklet for Meteora and when you go through it, it's all spray cans and all these pieces of art of just crazy graffiti stuff and that but that's that's how they that's what made up the artwork for the album. Just if anybody was ever wondering what it was. So it's an artist called Delta like the Greek word. I think that's Greek. But um, it was also recorded in a haunted building, apparently. Um, I can't remember how, why it was haunted off the top of my head. But, but by, by the way, I am doing most of this. I have notes on my phone that are very vague. And then the rest of them are just me just spitting stuff out. So please bear with me. But um, yeah, there's there actually quite funny footage of them. They're in like an elevator. And then as soon as Chester says that the building's haunted, the elevator stops. But it turns out that it was one of the members just flicking one of the switches in a different room. But they had them going for like three days. But um, yeah, I think the amount of bands back then who record an album in somewhere that they said was haunted. Like I know Slipknot and Papa Roach record in the Paramore Mansion, which is in LA somewhere. And they claim it was a murder house or some shit like that. And I'm trying to think of some other bands that record in somewhere haunted. Monkey. But um, <laughs> uh, the album was also mixed by Andy Wallace, who mixed Nevermind by um, Nirvana, 
which is kind of a cool little tidbit as well. I have a quote here from Mike. So like talking about in terms of difference, like I did say the album was, I felt it was like, it is from, from re-listening to it back, it is, it does come and come across as hybrid theory 2.0. Um, it's kind of, it's, that's kind of an unfair thing to say as well, but, um, like it's, it is different, but it's kind of the same. Like it's, it's just enough that you're kind of like, oh, they are doing something different without going, this is the same album, which is so boring. I hate when bands do that. They make the same exact album. It's so boring. But when Mike was asked about what, what are the main differences, and he goes, one of the big differences we'll notice between Hybrid Theory and Meteora is just simply the use of different instruments, different textures, and moods. For example, in Breaking the Habit, we have live strings and piano. In Faint, we have live strings. You know, there's Japanese flute here and there. We'll use different samples that will basically create a new mood, create a vibe in the song. The songs still have the Linkin Park sound. They have the dynamics, the heaviness, the things that make it sound like us. But we did try to experiment with different sounds and time signatures and tempo. All these different things just to make it feel a little bit more different. And it like it does feel different in a, in a way. <laughs> um, they actually had most of the finished songs before they went in to record it as well. Uh, the majority was finalized once they were in the studio, track by track, like the tracking list, but I still can't imagine how they had to go through 80 songs and, you know, finalize which ones were going on. Well, obviously the best ones, but um, I think you can see that from, I don't know if anybody, I sp- suppose if you're listening to this, you might be a Lincoln Park fan. They they re- did a 20 year anniversary and there was a bunch of brand new songs that had never been released before, including, f- f- what's it called? I'm lost. Oh, there. I'm lost. Lost. <laughs> yeah, that was one of the ones that was on it as well. And going off from the, uh, you know, the 80 songs and how do you work them out and all that kind of carry on. One of the things that I found quite interesting, I don't know, I'm not a musician, so this could not be interesting to a lot of people, but it might. it's interesting to me, is that they're not a jamming band. Like, they don't really, They. I think what I read the term was like collective jamming. So when they're putting songs together, it's, it's more like they work on bits and then kind of assemble them almost, rather than working in a room, working it together. And if they are in a room, they work in pairs, which I thought was quite interesting as well. So Mike has his own little home studio, so they'd work in that. I think him and Dave did quite a lot together but um (laughs) apparently jokingly they were saying as well that when they were working a lot of the time they would end up making these like stupid jokey songs i i if i can find a audio bit of some of the jokey songs because i I know there's one of chester singing the lyrics um and they're so shit (laughs) but uh yeah they would they would work on stuff like that because like mike is i don't know if you even see what he does on, because uh, Mike Shinoda has a Twitch channel now, and he will mix and master um, fans' songs that they send into him. And even, I think, over COVID, he did an amazing album where he made an album in like a month, all on Twitch. Each song was always made on Twitch. I think he had a day to make each song. And then he released the album as a as a um, fundraiser type of thing. So um, he's awesome. But he is just fucking a whiz on beats and all that kind of carry on and productions so he'd work on stuff at his house as well with dave in terms of writing on this song i think i think most people will find with this when they link and listen to lincoln park uh i certainly noticed i noticed it when i was quite young as well is that a lot of the songs don't really um how do you put it they don't really call people out by like, so say, for instance, if there's an aggressor, they don't really explain what the aggressor did. It's always I, you, you know, it's it's like putting this 
person in someone else's head in a, in the listener's head, but they never really say exactly who it is, and that's obviously but on purpose. So just that it it was a way that the band thought of that helped people identify more with the lyrics and get more involved with the song. So like uh, Chester puts it perfectly here. So when he's talking about writing with Mike about uh, how to identify with lyrics and how they go about writing it, because bear in mind, they are, they do write as two people, which I was like, they're writing as two people with two separate, completely different lives and two completely different emotions and two very different backgrounds. Um, but they still have to kind of come together in the middle which is why I always think like Mike Shinoda's rapping on Linkin Park songs is great. But if you ever hear him on like his stuff on Fort Minor, like remember the name is Mike Shinoda's song. I think people completely forget that. That was a huge song when I was growing up. And then his solo stuff as well. And even that song that he has with the Executioners, it's coming down. It's going down. Great. Like his lyric, lyricism on it is brilliant. But I always found because he's working with Chester and they have to work together. It's, it's just a different dynamic. He's still very, he's still a very, very, very good lyricist, but Jesus Christ his his solo stuff is insane. But, um, so when Chester was talking about writing with Mike, uh, he says, we don't talk about situations. We talk about emotions behind the situations. Mike and I are two different people. So we can't sing about the same thing, but we both know about frustration and anger and loneliness and love and happiness. And we can relate on that level. Yeah, just I think the main kind of takeaway from it is that they don't write about something too specific. I think you'll get that. I think you get that particularly on this album. Um, like I always thought, for instance, Breaking the Habit um, was a song that was penned by Chester. It turns out it was completely penned by Mike Shinoda. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, it just seems like a song that Chester would have wrote, but uh, apparently not. Uh, it's completely all Chester. No, all Mike. Apologies, I'm not even drunk. Jesus. <laughs> um, I guess uh, we'll move on. I guess we'll start moving on to the actual songs of the album. Um, 20 minutes in, I've been talking shite for that long, so I think it's about time you actually heard some music. And uh, the first up, so it has an introduction song on this album, which is called Forward. Um, it was recorded at Mike's house, and it was recorded after Meteora was finished. And I have a little, uh, this is from... This is a little quote. Mike Schnow did a track by track uh, breakdown in 2003 on a website called Shout Web, which is fantastic, by the way, for uh, for sources for this particular podcast. I, got, I learned a lot from it. Um, but he said that forward is uh, just an intro. If you know what Foley work is, it's my first attempt at Foley work. I don't know what Foley work is. I'm just going to say that now. Um because it's noises I made in the studio breaking things, which I never knew as well, um, we have this CD player and CD burner attached to my computer, which basic Jesus, that brings me back. Fucking hell. Sorry, I'll stop interrupting my own strain of thought. Um, but we have this CD player and CD burner attached to my computer, which basically just ate shit during the writing process. It gave Chester and I such a hard time. Burning CDs which should have taken a minute, were taking 20 minutes, 30 minutes to an hour. I got so frustrated with the thing, I put it to the side knowing I was going to beat it with a baseball bat and that's what I did. I smashed it with a baseball bat on, on a metal table. That's what that sound is. Um, I'll play it now so you can hear it. And that's what starts the album. <laughs> I never knew that again. As a huge fan from watching all watching, I think I watched. Jesus, I watched so much interviews when I was younger. Um, it's it's actually what 
made me want to be a podcaster but um here we are but uh yeah it's it's a metal baseball bat smashing a uh, cd burner (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know if they exist anymore but um so the first the first song off it was don't stay I always thought it was probably the first single off the album. It wasn't. The next song is. But um, so in the booklet, which I have in front of me here, it says that Mike and Brad, uh, Mike and Brad's original guitars for this song had a reggae style vibe, uh, which is uh, okay. Um, I don't know where the reggae comes in. But uh, after numerous transformations, probably five or six different guitar variations, Brad developed the final recorded version under the working title Sick. This song was one of the first tracks finished for this album. Notably, Joe recorded the opening scratch solo on the first take. That's Joe Han, um, Mr. Han, uh, sicko. Um, but yeah, don't don't stay. Is a don't stay. I think it's a pretty it's a pretty 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 good opener to the album. It has kind of does it have scream? Yeah, it does. It has a big screaming bit at the end as well. D- don't stay was always one of those ones. When I saw them live, I really wanted to see them play it live, but apparently they didn't play it live. And one of the reasons why is that it's one of the only songs that Linkin Park has, bar another one, which is Nobody's Listening, which is on on this album as well, that um, utilizes drop B. So there was no point. They just said that there was not really much point on having it. It's just pain in the hole. I think also Brad sold the guitars. He did. He sold the guitars for music for relief um, for charity as well, That the, the guitars that was used to record it. So... So there's a nice ending to that story, anyway. But yeah, no, don't stay. It's it's a it's a decent Linkin Park song. It's not one of the best songs. Um, it's a but it's a good song. But the next song now, "Somewhere I Belong," is a fucking ah. Uh, this so this was the first single off the album. This was the song that I was saying that had over 40 choruses written for it. I can't even imagine writing 40 choruses. Like, imagine having to do this, me doing this, like, six times. I don't think that's the same equivalent, but, um, (laughs) because this is just me waffling at this point. But, um, yeah, I have a quote here from Mike saying about Somewhere I Belong. He goes, we tried 40 choruses. It was just agonizing. You can't even imagine writing 10 and we were writing the 10th one, and in our minds it was done, and people would come in and say, yeah, it's cool, and that's not the response you want. You want, that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. In our heads, we were thinking, damn it, we got to go on writing. Which is, yeah, like, if you, I don't know, there's, if you ever see videos of Linkin Park practicing or them writing in the studio and stuff, it, it like, I, I don't, I think I'm just bigging them up in my head because I'm such a fan, but, like, Jesus Christ. 
um they look in, not that they look intense they're just so kind of clinical and so just like oh this has to be this way and this way it's it's really interesting to watch not to say that i've been in the studio watching a ton of bands making albums but i've watched a few videos trivium's one making in waves actually as a side note is quite a good little it came with the cd as well that's a really good making of the album but um the actual kind of uh weird noise that comes in that's actually from chester playing guitar um the the you, you hear it at the beginning so but supposedly johan and um i think and mike were just like no 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 too folky he was playing something on the guitar and they were like too folky so what they did was they f- got this thing and reversed it so originally it was playing in four three two one that was the chord progression and then they reversed it so it played in one two th- they cut into four pieces and played it in one two three four and that's why it has that kind of Mike describes it as a sweeping sound, um, which is kind of cool. Just it just goes to show like the kind of innovative things that they were doing just to make basic little points. I in the book that actually as well the band have written about this particular song is another cool thing about this song. It's the first time you hear some optimistic views, some optimistic lyrics from us. I think that lyrically the album is a little older, a little more hopeful. When we were writing a lot of songs, the first album we're starting about writing as 18 and 19 year olds. Being 25 now, I feel like I just look at things a tiny bit differently. It doesn't really have much to do with where we're at with the success of the first album it has everything to do with having seen some of the world and just being a little bit older so that's where the that's where that comes from but you'll see in overall the album is still as heavy and melodic and dynamic sound that is our that is kind of our signature thing just with some new evolution added so um yeah that's somewhere i belong i think i have more to do about that song but anyway we'll move on this album is gonna take so much to edit I think lastly, I don't know if anybody remembers the music video for this song, but it is one of the most quintessential Naughties music videos I've ever seen. It's like Chester moving through an apartment and then uh, Mike underneath rain (laughs) rapping. And then they're in just like some weird fucking arena type thing with like these. There's like three paintings of a monster at the very front. And then I think they make up the arena at the end. But um. Yeah, it's 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 not one of their... Linkin Park are actually... I think people forget. Linkin Park has some pretty sick music videos. Um, well, I wouldn't go as far as to say pretty sick. Well, Bleed It Out is actually... Bleed It Out's a fantastic music video off Minutes to Midnight. I'm trying to think of some other... <laughs> one Step Closer was directed, but was was directed by a uh, porn director, which has flying ninjas on the, on the ceiling. Um, that's not a good one. Oh... Uh. I'm actually now stumped. I can't think of any really good ones. Oh, New Divide is a good music video. Um, the big CGI one. Oh, The Catalyst has a good music video as well. Okay, we're moving. Jesus Christ. This is this was meant to be like a half an hour only, and I can see that it's already a half an hour in the time. <laughs> um, so what song are we on now? Uh, Lying From You. Yeah, which is, I think, because I'm not going to go through every single song. I'm not going to go through every single song in the... Um, in the album because we'd be here all day i'm gonna go through the ones that re- i really 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 like
after me is the fourth song. I don't have too many notes of this, but what I do want to make note of is that um, it's an, a viola-influenced keyboard sample that makes up the verses. And it's kind of more of the hip-hop based on. And um, there's also a sample of a burning car in it. Now, I have listened to the song quite a few times. I can't make out the burning car, to be honest. I might be deaf. I might have to listen to it again. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go listen to it now. Yeah, I'm back. Couldn't hear it. Couldn't hear it. So, uh, moving on from that. <laughs> Could not hear the burning car. Um, the original t- working title for this song was uh, Q-Dado. Uh, C-U-I-D-A-D-O. And you'll find that with a lot of Linkin Park's music, I, I think maybe with Hyrule Theory, but definitely with this one, that most of the songs had like a strange working title. Um, I don't know if any of them were actually used. I think the only one that was used was maybe Figure 09 was the working title and that was kept. But uh, yeah, they would have these weird working titles. But like if you ever see some of their unreleased stuff, some of them have kind of the same the same titling. Like one great song that was was an unreleased Linkin Park song that I is one of my personal favorite Linkin Park songs. It's called Cordy. Till the king to take all I had left away. You said you wouldn't put me to the test today. But I remember you saying that yesterday. There was a time when your mind wasn't out of control. Every memory of confession pouring out of your soul. Like a pill you couldn't swallow and it swallowed you whole. Another lie hard to follow till it followed you home. And like that, broke you down. A victim of Q-W-E-R-T-Y. It's easily their most heavy song. Always thought it should be a single, but um, it wasn't. But uh, if you can you can listen to it on YouTube. It's worth checking out. It's very heavy um, to the point that it doesn't even seem like a Lincoln Park song. Oh, it does. It does. But um, they played it live a few times as well. I don't know why. And they wrote it when they were on a plane going to Tokyo, which is uh, crazy. <laughs> but uh, it's crazy to think that you can write a heavy metal song while you're on a plane. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, was talking about lying for you. Um, so Mike and Joe's studio equipment was installed in the back of a tour bus during the summer of 2001. So this is obviously why they're on Ozfest, and they put it to good use. Mike came up with the intro sample and chorus music for the song during an overnight bus drive during Ozfest to record guitar in a movie bus was very sloppy, but months later in the studio at RG, everything got cleaned up, replayed, and put together right. So that's just that little bit. So there, yeah, the um, it's kind of I think lying for you is kind of a standard. Lincoln Park song of this era. Um, now we're on to the ne- one of the next ones that we're talking about is Faint. A little bit of loneliness, a little bit of disregard, half of the complaints, but I can't help the fact that everyone can see these scars. What I want you to want, what I want you to feel, but it's like no matter what I do, I can't convince you to just believe this is real. So I let go, I'm watching you. Turn your back like you always do Face away and pretend that I'm not But I'll be here cause you're all that I got Oh God, I love Faint. Uh, I really do. But you know what put me off it for so long was that I had it, I had it as my ringtone when I was like 12. 
or 13. No, I didn't get my first phone until I was 13. It was my ringtone on my phone. But um, a friend of mine, because it has that... A friend of mine would mimic it every time that it came on. So I had to change it and just I could never listen to the song for ages. But going back and listening to it now, it was it was a trip. Um, I forgot how much I loved it. But um, originally this song was recorded at 70 beats per minute. I think it was basically... I think it was Brad or Phoenix came in with the guitar and basically was like this is this is kind of what we want uh this is kind of like in the vicinity of what we want and then i think when he left mike Schnoda was working with it and um no it was the drums sorry i'm talking about the drums the drums the drums were originally at 70 beats per minute and that's what they were and that's what it was that's what they were going to be they were left in and then when he came back, Mike Shinoda had changed them to 140 beats per minute and I had to convince him that that's what the song needed. So it's actually one of the fastest um, Lincoln Park songs out there. And also the 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 famous kind of intro that you get that's also during the, the chorus and stuff as well is uh, I'm pretty sure it's a string quartet. It's a string group. And then they sample it and then just chuck a load of fucking shit on it. And then that's how you get that sound. But my God, what a great song. And the video as well. This is this is one of the ones where the video is really cool. I don't know if anybody remembers, but it's it's the one where it's an it's a crowd with these huge lights and it's performed from the back of the band. So you don't see the front of the band play at all. It's re- recorded from the very back of them. And then I think at the end, you can kind of get a few front shots. But um yeah, I think it's a phenomenal song. How I shot myself in the back again. It's from the infinite words I can say. I put all the pain you gave to me on display, but didn't realize instead of setting it free, I took what I hated and made it a part of me. to figure nine um figure oh nine i think um i yeah this is a great song as well i i did i think did i see this live or was it ditched this might be one of the songs that they ditched once they finished meteor but it's a, it's a really really cool song um it's one of the ones that had to go through like a bunch of different changes so i, I think when they were originally making it um it had rapping in it. It had rapping in the verses. And then they reworked it once they were in Energy Studios to have it just with singing. So it was just Chester the whole time. And um, and then I think it was that way for quite a while and the band were kind of set on it. But one thing that I actually failed to mention in the intro when I was talking about all the songs was that towards the end of the album, when Chester had to do his vocals, he actually became really, really sick. So he had to do all the vocals on his own, I think, in New York. So they were done like at the very, very end, right up to the fucking deadline of the album to be done. I can't remember how quickly he did it, but he did it pretty. He did it pretty quick. But he was sick for he was sick for ages, like a really, really, really long time. But anyway, so when they were putting the album together, that's where the rapping actually came back in. But I think it was Mike Shinoda and Don, who's the producer, Don Gilmore, um, they put it back in when they were in New York. So the rest of the band weren't actually aware that uh, the rapping had been back on. And I think they found out when the album was released, which is kind of a... Uh, <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how I'd like that, to be honest. I, 
but hey that's that's the, that's the way they did it um but yeah like there's some kind of cool stuff this is kind of one of those stuff where you get to see it's one of those albums where you get to see this is one of those songs sorry where you get to see that johan does a lot more than just fucking like just the turntables and stuff like the uh sound that you hear at the very 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 beginning of this song um the one that kind of sounds like drums that's actually him uh tapping on his turntables through a distortion pedal uh and then the distortion creates that kind of drum sound when he hits the needle and the vinyl together so that's how that's made um johan by the way gets uh, he does not get enough credit uh about the work that he does with lincoln park i think he's kind of the um, all the members in Linkin Park are fantastic musicians. They really are, and they don't get because like Mike Schnoda and Chester Bennington are so kind of they're just so I don't want to say iconic, but you just know them. So that that's kind of what an icon is. But like um, the work that Joe does in the band is is phenomenal. But yeah, Figure Figure Nine is a very very good song. Again, just one of those, just one of those great songs. There's not really much songs off this album. I think we're coming up to one of the songs that I really don't like on the album. There's one song that I really don't like. Um, figure nine's a good one yeah figure nine's very good i do have uh very very strong memories of um being in my bedroom on my own at like 12 and the give me back you say sis you gotta just i'm not gonna sing this on or do the screaming but just headbanging on my own <laughs> did that little that little bit on it um i, I yeah i always thought that was great <laughs> any there's 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 this when whenever they do the breakdowns where it's Chester and Mike Shinoda together, I always thought they were the best ones. Um, besides maybe given all uh, the the seventeen second scream on Minutes to Midnight, the opener. habit is up next now um which is probably one of my favorite songs off the album i i I think it's a phenomenal song i as i said before when uh when i was going into recording this sorry when i was talking at the very beginning i never realized that um breaking the habit was a song written entirely by mike Uh, i always thought it was a chester song because chester uh bennington if you ever see early interviews him he's very open about the fact that he was um a drug addict like he was uh he had a very fucked up, very fucked up childhood, sexually assaulted as a child and everything. And um, so he was, you know, uh, so I always thought the song was written by him about him getting his life together. But it's not. It's it's a song that Mike wrote about um, about a friend of his. Uh, and it took, as I said, the lyrical idea for the song took over five years to kind of put together. So he had the theme. And he tried it out, but he can never. He felt that he can never really do it the justice that it deserved. Because it is, it's, it is one of the most. I would say it's one of the most memorable songs on the album, next to "Easier to Run." I think. I well, easy, for me anyway. Obviously, "Numb" is "Numb" and "Faint" would be the two most iconic songs off this album. Um, but uh, when they were making it, I have this quote here. So. Uh, during the process of putting together this album, Mike began working on an interlude, crossing a digital manipulated beat with strings and piano. 
Unexpectedly, Brad and Joe suggested that Mike turn the two-minute interlude into a full song. Tentatively titled Drawing, this piece was extended to three minutes and 16 seconds when Mike took it home to write lyrics. In less than two hours, the lyrics that he had been trying to put together for years fell into place. With some finishing touches, live piano and live strings, the song was finally complete. Six years in the making, which is pretty fucking amazing. Um... (laughs) Um... They called it like the like the uh, cure for the itch version of Meteora. Um, uh, they just said that the song needs the song needs lyrics, and it's going to be a good song. So, and it was a good song. Uh, and the scratches on "Breaking the Habit" comes from the same sample what is used on the base of the scratching of "Points of Authority," which is on uh, Hyper Theory, which is interesting to know, at least for me, anyway. But um, believe it or not, this was actually uh, Chester's song. So, out of all the songs that Chest that uh, Lincoln Park wrote. Um, he said that Breaking the Habit is, is his favorite song. I think he said it quite a few times as well. Um, and when he was asked in a Lin- Linkin Park underground chat in 2003, he was quoted as saying that I'm almost pissed off that we wrote it because I like it so much. Um, if someone else had written, I could play it all the time. But if I do that, people will think I'm a narcissistic punk. Um, <laughs> uh, he says that it's a song that connects him most with it connects him most on the emotion on the emotional side. And he felt like Mike was writing about his life and had a hard time recording the song because he could always start crying inside the vocal booth. And despite this, uh, Chester recorded all the vocals uh, for Breaking the Habit in a single afternoon, um, which pretty awesome. <laughs> um, so, and here's another song uh, that uh, I really, really like, which is the next song, which is uh, From the Inside. great song actually this is one of the ones that i really do remember quite a bit um off the back of my head uh when i think about the album when i was going back into it it was one that kind of really really popped up all the time but um from the inside was uh phoenix's idea um so all of lincoln park since nearly all of them even in the when you go to like the lincoln park wikipedia page which is a thing and it was great for helping me put this together um you'll find that most of the songs are in four four uh, this song is in 6-8 I think is the time signature for this song but yeah they wanted to record a 6-8 song and this was one of the songs as it was mentioned previously there like they I think they had the bare grounds of it done and obviously they were trying to challenge themselves with writing something out of their normal time signature and then this was one of the songs where Chester was sick so he had to record all his points and parts sorry in New York right at the start of the mixing process as well so um, it was one of the last songs to be finished I think and it had like pretty much no room for mistakes whatsoever but they got it done and um i think the other song that had no room for mistakes i don't know why i'm saying i think and i have the booklet in front of my face it's telling me what it is um uh it was summer i belong was the other one um and just a little tidbit uh this song contains a scratch which is a combination of the break vocal from one step closer which i think you know i'm about to break uh, and the you scream from from the inside's bridge, so just a little bit of uh, knowledge there. Um, now this next song, 
this isn't one of my mo- this isn't one of my most favorite Linkin Park songs. Um, which is nobody's listening. Yo, peep the style and the kids checking for it. The number one question is how could you ignore it? We drop right back in the cut over basement tracks with rap stack. Got you backing this up like rewind that. We're just rolling with the rhythm. Rise from the ashes of stylistic division. With these nonstop lyrics of life living. Not to be forgotten, but still unforgiving. But in the meantime, there are those who want to talk this and that. So I suppose that it gets to a point where feelings gotta get hurt and get dirty with the people spreading the dirt of gold. I don't think it's a bad song. Um, it is one of the songs where you can really hear the Japanese flute that I mentioned earlier that they incorporated on. And it's David Zlasloff uh, that's on the flute. It's called uh, Sh- Oh, I really shouldn't pronounce this because it's going to come out wrong. But uh, Shakuchi flute. S H A K U A C H I. I've definitely got that pronunciation wrong, so I apologize. But um, it's one of the. It's definitely one of the more rap songs based. And one of the thing. One of the reasons why I don't like it. I always found that the flute was actually quite jarring um at least to me anyway um but that could be me just being a uh, a pain in the hole <laughs> um but uh one of the things that i do actually find quite interesting on it is that um in this song uh mike Shinoda shouts out jay-z um which obviously the next project after this that lincoln park had as far as i can remember was uh collision course which was the um which is the collaborative album that they did with Jay-Z. So I don't know if this song got Jay-Z's mind going or like it made people go, hey, you know, they shouted you out. But um, it's kind of cool that, that it has. I think they actually use Nobody's Listening as one of the bases for a song on Collision Course. I might be wrong there, but I think they did. Um, but yeah, like at the very beginning of the song, just in terms of the lyrics, you can hear Mike say, yo, peep, the stuff. <laughs> sounds so bad when i say uh he says yo peep the style and the kids checking for it the number one question is how could you ignore it which is from a jay-z and notorious big lyric uh on brooklyn's finest which they say uh ayo peep the style and the way the cops sweat us Uh uh-huh the number one question is can the feds get us Uh uh-huh and that is probably one of the most nerdy readings or renditions of a Jay-Z and Notorious B.I.G. lyric ever. <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to regret that one now. I really am. <laughs> and I will say one thing about the song that I do like. I do like Chester's lyrics. Uh, Chester's, like, yeah, I, I think Chester's vocal performance is really good on it. But it's, yeah, it's just not one of my faves. It is, it is a good song. Like, it's not a bad song. There's the Lingenbark of worse songs that I can think of. But um, I think what was always jarring about it to me was that it leads into Session. Now, this is where I get really annoyed with this album. And not not at the album, but at what I found out from researching this particular episode is that Session is the song that was nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> so I, I was like, oh, this when I, when I was reading the stats for this album, I think it sold like 10 million copies or something like that or something, maybe a bit less. No, it definitely didn't sell 10. Um, but, uh, I was just like, oh, which song is the one that got the Grammy? Is it Somewhere I Belong? Is it Breaking the Habit? Um, an amazing song about, you know, getting, getting off drugs. Um, Numb, probably one of the most fucking iconic songs ever, which is what this song leads into. No, uh, not one of the most iconic songs ever. One of the most iconic songs of Linkin Park's discography. But, um, no, it's Session, which is, uh... (laughs) It's like this. It's 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 an interlude. It's an instrumental interlude. Um, 
it's not really it's not even sorry it's not even an interlude like it's good um it's mostly johan playing on it like that's kind of one of the most kind of signature trademarks that it's going through it is is his playing style on it like the, the, the turntables really kind of make up it and there's some beautiful keys that goes along with it as well but um yeah it was nominated for a grammy and here's the best part it didn't even win <laughs> like it's just, it's just so it's so stupid there's so much other performances on this song like on this album sorry that could have easily gone for best rock performance like lincoln parker a fantastic live band uh, I know, obviously, you won't get to see them live now, but, um, like, they were a fucking phenomenal live band. Uh, even when I saw them at uh, Download, they just, they really did blow me away. Um, but, yeah, it was nominated for Grammy for Best Rock Instrumental Performance, and it didn't win. It lost to Jeff Beck's Plan B. I haven't even, who is Jeff Beck? <laughs> it's just so strange. It's so strange. It really does boggle my mind. Um, like, I'll play a sample of it here just so you get, you get it. It sounds like a Lincoln Park song. Like it does. Like it. Like it. It, it does. Without obviously without the two singers, but um, yeah, it's just bizarre. It just really is bizarre. Really boggles the mind. But um, anyway, it leads into. Every step that I take is numb where do you even start with this like i remember so this as i said at the very very beginning of the episode just to bring it all back um this is one of the songs that really got me into the music that i listen to now uh for sure there's no doubt about it um i remember being at wes and this song would play and be like this is my song this is my time (laughs) my time to bust a move because i know all the lyrics and they're just screaming i've because that is genuinely a true story as embarrassing as that actually is but um But um, yeah, just God, just what a phenomenal song. And the video, I remember it was the first time I ever heard, next to Green Day, I think Green Day were also kind of instrumental in getting into rock music, but I remember it was the first time hearing it on the radio and it's been like, holy shit, they're not playing um, whatever it was like they were playing at the time. I don't know, Britney Spears or something. Like, And I don't get me wrong, I like Britney Spears. But um, do you know what I mean? It was the first kind of like fucking rock song, like a proper rock song that wasn't U2 or um white stripes um which are they were bad examples they're proper rock bands as well but uh you know what i'm trying to say anyway you know what i'm trying to say and it really was one of those songs that was just like it got me so into music it made me it made me feel for the first time maybe a song made me feel something um it just really did it changed it changed everything for me it's it's fantastic but anyway we'll go on about the the making of it here so um i'll I'll read what's in the booklet uh to start 
um, because I think that's always a good start. The notes for this one are actually quite small. So um, I think it's actually one of the least amount of notes they have in the whole booklet for a song, but it just says, just one week before the band entered the studios, entered Energy Studios to be recording, this song was conceived, is built around the intro hook, the song came together quickly and almost effortlessly. So um, when Mike was talking about this, just for further little, uh, uh, flesh out the song, Mike said, on Shout, this is again from the interview that he did on Shoutweb, he said, the last song's called Gnome, which starts with a nice keyboard hook, which it really does. I think everybody knows that hook straight away when they hear it, um, at least from my age group anyway. He says, I think it was a nice way to end the album because it kind of sums up the record. It's very recognizable as a sound. It sounds like a Linkin Park song, but it does not, doesn't, it, uh, excuse me. It sounds like a Linkin Park song, but it does have some mood that Meteora has, if that makes sense. Maybe I can say that better. When you hear it, you can easily recognize it as a Linkin Park song, but obviously belongs on Meteora. It obviously belongs in the same group of songs just because of the way the tone of the songs and the lyrics are. It's kind of about those times when you've got no feeling left or you just don't care. It's it's almost like exhaustion or something, which funny enough is how we felt after touring last year. <laughs> Um, it was actually one of the things that's interesting about it lost, which was the first single of, um, the re-release the, the of one of the, uh, one of the, uh, previously unreleased songs was, uh, was, it was actually not included on Meteora because it sounded too much like Numb, which is strange. Um, they went with Numb instead. Uh, I don't, I don't really think they sound that, that much similar, but maybe lyrically or whatever, but, um. Yeah, I think everybody... Does anybody remember the music video for this? I don't know why I'm saying that like I'm talking to a crowd. It is the, it's the woman painting, and it's Lincoln Park in like a church. It's Chester in a church just singing. But um, yeah, it truly was a fucking amazing song. I don't really have much more to say uh, about this album, to be honest. I think we're at the end. I thought I would have more to say about Numb, to be honest. But I just... Yeah, I, I, I in terms of songs, like it's just... It is one of those... Lincoln Park, one of those bands that when I was the age that it was like whatever 12 or 13 i didn't really get the themes of it to be honest i kind of wanted to at the back of my head just to be able to emphasize with what chester was singing about you know like depression suicidal thoughts and all that kind of carry on and i kind of just like just because it was like oh i just you know it just wanted to feel like that just to kind of understand it a bit better but the more i get older the more i listen to it the more i i emphasize with a lot more which is weird because they're not really like any other band that I would listen to, but they're always a band that I would, um, if they ever came on, I wouldn't turn them off, which I think says enough about how much they meant to me as a child and as a teenager growing up. But yeah, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there. I just wanted to do, I do a run through and talk about the album. Um, and how special it was for a lot of people when they were growing up and especially myself, it, it really was such a nice trip to go back and just listen to it from start to finish and be like, oh shit, this is, uh, it, it was so, it was such a trip. And it got me, it got me back listening to a bunch of bands that I haven't listened to in ages. Like I listened to, what was the album I listened to? Um, cause I remember distinctly when I went to see them at download, um, I think, yeah, Spring with Horizon were doing Sepaternal, which is now 10 years old. Uh, I think it's 10 years old this month as well, which is nuts. Um, and there was a video of him, Chester Bennington and, and Ollie uh, together uh, talking about because Ollie's like your music inspired mine. And um, it was kind of that's what kind of brought my head back to it. And all these other albums that I listened to. Uh, so the first yeah, I think the first album I listened to was uh, Suicide Season by 
Bring the Horizon, which I haven't listened to in fucking years. And Enter Shikari as well. I listened to um, Common Dreads, I think, was the album that I listened to the, by them. Uh, and then I moved on to a bunch of other stuff anyway. But no, it, it was it was really special to go back and listen to this. And I thank you so much for listening to the whole episode because I have been waffling. <laughs> I did not think the episode would be this long. I have so much to edit out of it as well. At this point, it's an hour and 10 minutes. So... Um, it's probably not going to be that when when you hear it, it'll probably be shorter. But yeah, but yeah, I just wanted to give again just before I go, just a th- just a, a quick look back at an album that I think meant a lot to a lot of people when it came out. I'd like to think that it still means something to people now, um, and hopefully there'll be a twenty year version of For Minutes to Midnight. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the episode anyway i really 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 appreciate especially getting through this long to listen to just myself talking about an album that is 20 years old um but uh yeah it's been really really special and uh i hope you've enjoyed yourself i hope you learned something new uh i try to pack in as much facts as possible um and not waffle too much but i think i did way too much waffling but um (laughs) uh yeah we'll be back again next week hopefully with a guest as well Uh, Peace out and enjoy your weekend. I have to play the theme music now after all that that Zach's made. I I can't legally play a whole Lincoln Park song. But if I could, it'd be QWERTY.